Tea drinkers and listeners, this is Corey Calder with Staffleton Spilling the Tea. I want to thank you all so much for your love and growing support for the show. We are almost at 500 downloads and listens. In today's episode, you're going to hear from two history teachers who have a lot to spill about what it takes to be an incredible educator. There's the bell. Time for class. What's going on, Education Nation? This is Corey Calder, and we have another special one for you today. It is my pleasure to introduce Mr. Lincoln to Staffordy Spilling the Tea. How's it going? Uh, it's going well, man. Thank you for having me on. Well, I, I, I appreciate it. And, you know, before we roll into your background, you know, I want to tell the, um, you know, podcasters out there a quick story about you and me. Because my first year teaching, I had cafeteria duty. And as you do, and you'll, you know, I'm sure you'll mention, you were kind of just walking through the cafeteria. You, you weren't on duty. You are like just connecting with the kids. You stopped at the top of the stairs. We were chatting for a little bit. And randomly, boom, like a fight breaks out. And it was my first fight that I saw. So I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. And, you know, you run down there. You're like, hey, come on. I go with you. And you get one of the kids. You pull them aside. And you're just walking with them. And you're saying, hey, it's Lincoln. Just breathe. Everything's cool. It's Lincoln. Just breathe. And, like, I've stolen that from you. And so I don't even know if you remember that. but um, Oh, I do. I do. It was, it was super cool. And I was like, this guy is legit. Um, I just found out his last name is Lincoln and I got to connect more with this guy. So since that, since that initial, like, you know, meet and greet, I, I've looked up to you and I really appreciate everything you've done for me. Oh man, that's, that's, uh, that's too kind. I definitely remember that day in the cafeteria and I'm glad you're able to steal something from it. If it, uh, I think it's worth mentioning despite maybe the fact that you haven't been in this game as long as some of us. I know I'm 22, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm able to take a lot from you as well. I think I think you can learn from people around you at any time if you're kind of willing to, to open your eyes and ears. So I'm, I'm glad you could steal a little bit from my bag of tricks. And I promise you I do the same. Um, mostly your... Your ability to remember what matters on campus, because most of the things we freak out about don't matter yeah. at the end of the day. And so your ability to kind of keep your eye on, look, we're dealing with people, relationships are what matter more than anything. And it sounds corny as, oh, can I ask a question, Calder? Am I allowed to curse on this? Uh, I wouldn't. Cool. I would not. I'm playing. I'm playing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like... <laughs> As corny as it sounds, like love is what matters. Yep. And so your ability to to emanate that on a consistent basis is something that I really admire and definitely try to steal steal inspiration from. Well that, that means a lot too, man. So how did you how did you get into education and, and end up at Verona? Whoa. All right. So I hope some students hear this because we as adults do them a horrible disservice because we lie to them so much about our goals and our career paths that we stress them out. I never, and I guess what I'm saying is in other words, like if you don't have a plan when you're 17, yeah, absolutely. okay. Um, I never, so high school didn't intend to be a teacher because who wants to be a teacher? Yeah. They're corny, right? Like nobody, I thought I was going to be, who knows? Good Lord. If you'd ask me, I didn't have a plan. Um, Despite the fact that I come from a family of educators, my mom taught kindergarten for 35 years. I have an uncle who was a school superintendent in Greene County. My grandfather was a was a professor, a history professor at JMU. So, like, education was something I valued. Teaching, though, no way. Even in college, never thought about it. Only majored in history because I liked history. Like, had no career aspirations, which I'm not saying you should necessarily follow this route either. Like, I'm probably <laughs> into the spectrum. You should maybe plan a little bit. But, like, I didn't have a hard and fast plan as an undergrad of, like, ooh, I'm going to get a history degree, and then I'm going to do X, and then I'm going to do Y, and here's my career. Like, no. I did history because I liked history, and I enjoyed learning it. And I went to college because my mom bribed me to fill out a college application because I was – immature enough as a senior in high school to be on that old two school 
too cool for school kick. I was like, I'm not going to college. F that. I'm going to be whatever. And she was like, look, here's $50, $100, whatever she gave me. It, it was enough for me. I think it was probably only 50 That's how uh-huh. I am. She was like, here's $50. You need to apply to one college. That's it. Applied to one college, which was George Mason. Only applied there. Had knew nothing about it other than it's near D.C. And I was like, all right, that's cool. Because I thought, like I said, I thought I was cool. I thought I was hard. I was a wannabe rapper yeah. or whatever. Um, still wasn't even really that excited about going until that summer after you graduate high school and you're like, oh, oh sorry, really? I would say that in class. For the record, my students. <laughs> um, that summer after your senior year in high school and you're like, oh, snap. People are doing things. like. And so how did, how did you end up at Verona? All right. So... Man, we're going to make this podcast like two hours. <laughs> People are going to be begging to hear this one. So graduate with a master's, ready to teach. So this is after, you know, I, I decided here's my career track. Went back to tech, went to their teaching program, did well, liked it. I liked the idea, whatever. And I'm like, I want to, I was so much on that, like, I'm going to save the world, um, whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to say I was naive, but whatever. I, and I wanted, but I wanted to get out of Virginia. I wanted to get out of my area. And the beautiful thing about teaching, and I even tell young people this now, there are jobs that pay more. That is most certainly true. But like teaching travels, man. If you got a skill that travels, teaching, nursing, a lot of like even a lot of trades. If you're an mm-hmm. electrician, electrician or whatever. You can go anywhere in the world and people are going to be like, yeah, we need you, dog. You can find work. And so that was really cool to me. So basically what I did was just applied. I wanted to go to a a big city. Save the world, work in a tough environment, whatever. I had no idea what I was getting into, but that tells you just how naive I was. (laughs) So I applied to school systems like Atlanta, D.C., um, probably a few other and then New York City as well. And I had an aunt who lived in Manhattan. And so when I started finding out New York City was having some job fairs, it was easy for me to hop on a Greyhound bus. I had a place to stay. I was like, all right, I'll go up here, stay with her for a couple of days. She was cool enough to, you know, offer me. She was like, stay as long as you need and go to a few job fairs and see what shakes out. Went to a couple job fairs. And, you know, just like, I guess, today, depending on what kind of school you're applying at, you might get a job offer at the job fair. And so, once again, not really fully comprehending what I'm getting into, that's exactly what happened. I interviewed for a high school in the Bronx, got the job offer on the spot. New York wasn't playing, by the way. Not only did I get the job offer. They were like, yeah, go upstairs. We're doing fingerprinting right now. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you can't leave. Not, yeah, they were not going to let you get out and, like, get a better offer. That should have been my first sign that maybe this job is going to be a lot. <laughs> um, and I even remember one of the interview questions, because I was interviewed, actually, by a panel of a couple of principals, one of whom really did a lot to shape my career. But another guy who was kind of an old-school New Yorker, um, who had been in education his whole life. He's in his 60s at this time. The only question that really stood out to me is he asked me point blank, and because I'm a professional, I'm not going to say it word for word. I'm going to give you the radio edit. Yep. But he said, what are you going to do when one of your students stands up and says, F you? That's the job interview question I remember. So that also should have probably been a sign. Yep. A little symbol little uh, that I'm getting into a lot. Long story short, took this job, never seen a high school, knew nothing about it, just knew it was in the Bronx, whatever. Um, Get up there my first year, and I ended up staying there for five years. And it was everything you would, it's every stereotype you would think about of working in an inner city high school, but also a million other things that people don't recognize. And so, yeah, there were all the obvious things like issues with gangs and poverty and students coming from really, really, really incredibly tough backgrounds. Yeah. Um, 
you know, you had to go through a metal detector to get into our school, stuff like that. There were police officers all over the school. There were school safety agents all over the school. That was, this was, it was tough, but at the same time, um, or, and to give you an idea, like how frustrating this environment can be from an educational standpoint, when I started there, our on-time graduation rate, and as an, as a future administrator, I know you care about these numbers, mm-hmm. um, was 25%. Wow. Right? Like, so this is some, like, lean on me, Joe Clark-ish. I'm like, what? Um, but at the same time, A, that gives you some freedom as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Like, it was tough. Don't get me wrong. But it also means if you're willing to show up and grind, you're given a lot of freedom within the classroom. Because administrators, principals, whatever, got to have a lot more problems on their plate than maybe the tiny minutiae that sometimes I think frustrates teachers on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And I so feel you, you. you got to experiment. Like if you could keep the kids engaged as a teacher, you could run with it. And it forced you to be a really good teacher right off the bat. Like you're talking about kids, whether it was kids from ELL background, kids who had just had so much trauma in their life that they were, they were, you know, being eaten up on the inside kids who struggled with reading, whatever it is, all thrown into a same classroom, you better figure out how to teach real quick. You can't just sit up there and drill and kill. So it made me a much better teacher. I worked with some great students, some great families, um, really enjoyed my time up there. But it's a lot. And New York is expensive. I love New York, too. I was living, I was in my 20s living in New York City. Like, come on, dog. I'm from Harrisonburg, Virginia. Um, like this was you talk about culture shock but in a good way oh i loved it yeah that's cool long story short meet my now ex-wife but soon to be wife at the time meet her up there she was a teacher in new york she was from new york too um and our relationship kind of progresses and we get to the point where we're we're starting a family and it was only then that we were like, yo, raising a child in New York City is a lot. And mostly mm-hmm. it's, ex- it's expensive, like more than anything. Like it's, I love New York, um, but it's expensive to raise a child. And we were both, so, you know, long story short, having, having my son, who's going to be 13 in June, whoa, having my son is what prompted us to come back to Virginia. I don't know how, okay. How in the world I convinced this New York City girl to move back down to Virginia. She had no idea what she was getting into, bless her heart. Um, so I come back to Virginia, get a job near where I'm from at Robert E. Lee High School in Stanton, Virginia, which is about 20, 20 minutes away from Harrisonburg for anybody who's got a map in front of them right now. If you do have a map in front of you, you need to rethink your priorities. Yeah. Um, taught at Stanton for eight or nine years. And it was, you know, the school was great. That area is great in some ways to raise a, raise a family, Harrisonburg, Stanton, Sando Valley, JMU area. But it's, it was a little too small, and I wasn't thrilled about being back home. Um, and I wanted a bigger, just a, a more diverse, everything that a city offers that maybe a smaller city or a smaller town doesn't offer. But I didn't necessarily want New York big. And I have, you know, I still had family in Harrisonburg. I had my brother in Philly, so I didn't want to move across the country. Like, that was probably off the table. But I wanted somewhere and started looking at places kind of mid-Atlantic, whatever. So, like, D.C., Richmond, Virginia Beach. Mm-hmm. Really, uh, really liked Richmond. Had some, ex- you know, had some, Richmond's only two hours away from Harrisonburg. So, I had some experience with this city really thought it was a cool spot long story short kind of repeated the same process i did when i first got out of college you know filling out applications going to job fairs got an interview at verina also don't really don't know much about the school once again other mm-hmm. than it's in rico county and whatnot um interview went well i know like turpin was in my interview mr uh jelani lynch who a lot of your listeners might know called her i don't know if you've ever met him he's He's in uh-huh. he's in Chesterfield County now, but a really good dude, really good teacher. And then Mrs. Seely was in my interview, 
And I know, I don't know if she realizes this. She might. First of all, I'm not going to brag, but I killed the interview, whatever. Secondly, I called her <laughs> Mrs. Steele the entire interview. Really? Just bombed her name. Didn't know it, obviously. <laughs> I don't know if she knew it and was just really polite because it never came up. But, like, I didn't realize it probably until I was, like, in the car on the ride home or maybe even after I got the offer. So I guess it didn't obviously, like, tank it. But I was like, yeah. oh, man, I just referred to the principal by the entirely wrong name the whole time. Um, so got the, got that job offer. By that point, I had two sons. And so me and my family, you know, moved down to Richmond area in Rico County. And your listeners kind of know the story for, you know, since I've been at Verina, this will be my fourth year now. Wow. So you came one year before me. All right. That's cool. Because I've always wanted to know that about you, but I guess I always forget to ask. Yeah. And it's funny, too, how and you, I think, can can understand this too firsthand. If you can really vibe with, with the school's culture and really get down and take your job seriously and work hard after that first year, like it's sometimes hard to tell how long someone's been in a place. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, man, year two was like so much fun. Like I loved year one, but year one it is took a me year to get ooh, get the culture shock, get like Oh man, year one is the I mean, I'm coming from middle school. These got I mean, these kids are bigger than me. You know, I'm just like, what is going on? Year one is so wild. Took, yeah, it, it, it was a roller coaster. That would be you talked about how we're gonna talk about advice for teachers. One piece yeah. of advice I would give to new teachers, especially first year teachers, breathe. You're doing fine. I don't I like care that. how good you are. The first year of teaching is is wild. It's incredible. It's difficult. It's stressful. You feel like you're not doing anything right. You don't know anybody's names except for the kids in your classroom. Like that's a big part that I don't think teachers realize. You got to get to know everybody on campus, and that just takes time. Yeah. And so that. Oh yeah. Yeah. That first year, you're walking around, especially if you're teaching like freshmen and there's upperclassmen. They don't know who you are. Oh yeah, and I'm doing I'm doing cafeteria duty, and I'm like, hey man, you can't sit like on top of the table. I need you to sit in the chair. And this dude looks at me, and thank goodness he didn't curse. But I I can only imagine what's going through his head. He's like, who's this new yeah. teacher? Who's this rando <laughs> telling me what to do? And unfortunately, too, I think what you see at a lot of schools, but schools like where I was at in the Bronx, definitely. But even Verona, I think, has this issue. Schools that sometimes get that label for whatever reason of like challenging schools, you see a lot of turnover and the kids see a lot of turnover. So like I remind new teachers too, I'm like, why would they listen to a stranger? You've got to prove to them that you're in this for the long haul Uh and you can't force that. You just got to keep showing up, being consistent. And I promise you, like you said, that second year is so much better. It's, it's, exponentially uh-huh. easier and then third year and fourth year and before you know it most of the students on that campus include and most of the faculty probably too you become part of the fabric of that community it doesn't mean your life yeah. is smooth sailing but you're no longer a stranger well what i what i love the most too you know I'm, we're, I'm wrapping up year three and taking your advice i mean that's what i did i i, I worked it hard my first couple of years but like what i like now is, you know, I'm doing breakfast duty. And, like, every kid that walks through that door, like, I pretty much know and I get a dap. Oh, it's incredible. You know, but, like, I think back to year one and I'm, like, I'm doing cafeteria duty. And nobody knows me. Yeah. You know? And so it's it's, it's tough. You really got to enrich yourself in the culture. And, and the one thing that got me, too, is after year one, like, you know, the last couple of weeks or at the end of May, kids are asking you, hey, you coming back next year? Oh, yeah. You know? And adults are like, hey, are you coming back next year? Are you transferring? And I'm like, no, I love this place. Like, I'm not leaving. Yeah. You know, well, stop asking me this question. <laughs> but like you said, there, there's so much turnover sometimes. It's like, you know, that's what the kids expect. Yeah, they do. Um, and I think you make a good point, too, about like, like you said, getting daps, getting pounds from kids who come in the cafeteria. One thing you've got to do, too, as a teacher is be visible and speak to every freaking one. Like, yes, I don't pass a kid. 
that I've that I know, and half the time, even if I don't know them, without without saying good morning, hello, good afternoon, how you do, like build force those relationships and even if like you know some kids probably hate it and never respond okay but they know i'm yeah. solid they know miss oh that's mr lincoln and they're going to tell their little brother and they're going to tell their cousin and that takes i think and then i can come down and be a real real if i need to be real strict and be real mad and whatever tough stuff i have to be but like as a teacher you can't you can't be tough on someone before you've built that relationship. And I think that's another thing I learned in the Bronx. Some of those kids have been through so much more than I would go through in a million lifetimes that you walk in there thinking mm-hmm. you're going to be the new sheriff in town and they will laugh at you at best. And at worst, who knows what else you can't come in there. You can't be tough. You have to earn that, that right. You have to earn, you have to build that relationship before you can, really really hold someone's feet to the fire no yeah and 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 you build the relationship right you get the respect and then you know those kids want to check in on you you know i have one kid come by every morning when i'm in you know the cafeteria and it's like good morning mr calder good morning we check in he's like you good good you good he's like yes i'm like all right let's have a good day and it's Uh like you get the check-ins from all your little minions and it's it's just it always fills your bucket like every little conversation fills you up because you might be drained five minutes earlier. So it just kind of always fills that's you a, up. I think that's a perfect metaphor. Um, Cause I think it's easy to forget too. And this is my only, only fear while we're on this break. Cause low key, I'm loving it. Like whatever. I don't like to get up at six in the morning, but there are so many young people on our campus and on every campus in the world who we are their go-to. We are their rock. We are their, we're yes, their sir. person. And it's often the kids that when you're teaching them drive you the most crazy. And so, but like, I'm, I worry about those kids. I'm not worried about academics. Like they'll be fine. I'm not worried about prom yeah, and graduation, be to be honest. That stuff, it's disappointing. It's not going to happen, but that's not the end of the world. No, yeah. we're moving on. And the kids are tough too. Like we don't give young people enough credit for being resilient and being flexible. I think if adults would just breathe, some of this stress that maybe some of our students are feeling would go away. But I do worry about those kids who don't have a person at home. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean physically, like a lot of them have a physical person at home, but don't have, I mean, back to the corny word from earlier, who don't have love and don't have a place to yep. seek it even for five or 10 minutes. Those kids are the ones I worry about over this break. Um, because that's, at the end of the day, all we do. We, we try to love kids, and then if you love someone, you can learn from them. Mm-hmm. In, in yeah. both ways. You oh, God, you're right. With that bucket metaphor? In a million yeah. ways. A million different ways. You will... Because, yeah, kids don't have... Kids don't have a filter, and that can drive you crazy, but it also forces you to be <laughs> authentic and true to yourself and not... Like, kids can see through BS. Yeah, they can. And And it's so funny, like, you know, us just telling these stories as you're telling the story, like four kids pop in my head. Oh yeah, I know. Me too. This kid popped in my too. head. This kid popped in my head. And it's like, God, and those are the kids that you're talking about. Like, you know, I, I feel like I need to check in on them. Just like who knows what they're doing and what's going on. And if they have that, they're missing the rock at school. So hopefully they are getting something I'm hoping at home. So too. I'm hoping so too. Yeah. So let's, let's spill the tea as to like what you do well in the classroom. You've already talked about how you build relationships um, and you care a lot about that. What else do you do uh, that makes you a successful teacher? I try. Um, I try to do as little work as possible in the 90 minutes that my kids are with me. And I'm going to repeat that slowly because I want people to hear what I'm saying. I try yeah. to do as little work. I try to put everything on their shoulders. And so I try to make sure that my classroom is student-centered and project-based. Whatever subject I'm teaching, however, whether it's an SOL course, AP course, and I'm not saying I pull it off every day. Of course. But I don't think when it comes to learning, I think when it comes to emotions, humans are buckets. You fill them up, you empty yourself out. I don't think when it comes to learning, that's how most humans learn. You don't just fill up a brain. 
Yeah, you can't. And so I try to make sure that they are busy on any number of activities and often activities that hopefully they have some, some agency in choosing throughout the day. I try to force them to think. I try to force them to write and argue and debate and defend themselves and and use every variety of kind of their brain and actual physical, you know, whether it's images, documents, whatever. And I try to focus on the skills. So if I do that, I think I can usually have a pretty successful day. Like I said, some days better than others. But I don't mm-hmm. see my job as to stand up in front of the room and dump information in their head for 90 minutes. Um, I don't think most people learn that well, learn like that. And I don't enjoy doing that. Um, so I think that's something I'm pretty good at is creating a classroom environment where the students know the onus is on them, that they're going to be working. I also try to really focus on this idea of like growth as a learner. And so that, you know, whether that means redoing an assignment, whether, you know, as many times as you need, whether that means retaking tests, whether that means making sure, making sure assignments kind of meet you where you're at so that when you grow, we can get happy, even if that growth is in a grade book, you know, the difference between a 57 and a 66. So I try to keep Mm -hmm. that mindset and I try to remember, and this last thing is something I think that I really have to work on because the day-to-day stress can sometimes make this hard. And this is where people like yourself, Michelle, Andrews, any number of people that are on our campus really help me with this, whether y'all know it or not. I try to keep this ratio of kind of compliments and positivity in my head that for every, every critical thing I say to a student, whether it's about their behavior or their academic work, I need to make sure I'm given probably three to four positive comments. And so yeah. combining all that is kind of how I go, you know, how, cause students will tell you like you work every day. Like my class is not easy by any means, but I think if they realize that a, they're responsible, most people like that being treated like an adult, but B, they have the chance to grow and fix mistakes and learn from their mistakes. And that C, as they make those mistakes, and I think C is the most important probably, I can't freak out. I can't look at that. So like, it's almost like I'm trying to encourage failure so that I can celebrate the hard work and the effort and the the positivity in that failure. And then we can improve upon that failure and make sure let's do it again and let's fail at it again. And then let's Mm -hmm. do it again and fail at it again until we somehow can master whatever that is we're trying to do. No, I'm with you. And, and, you know, making yourself vulnerable to the kids, you know, if you fail, you just tell them and yeah. then we, we move on. You know, it, it's it's okay to fail because if you if you go in there with like just a safety net the entire time, they're going to hate your class. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to bring something new and try some, some new stuff. And when it flops, you just learn from it. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. So, um, I think, and this kind of yeah. probably dovetails into the advice for newer teachers. That's a great point because I've – this is, I'll be, this will be my next year will be, I think my 19th year of teaching. And I don't know if any, obviously you keep some stuff that works, but you've got to always be like reinventing. You've got to try new things. Yep. You try because I've got to, yeah, that growth for me is just as important as it is for them. And I think, you know, you end up having more bad days than good that way. I mean, more good days than bad. Oops, Freudian slip, right? Yeah. <laughs> more good days than bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm trying so, to do. So, um, what's uh, one... Yeah, I got you. Um, what, what's like one one piece of advice? I mean, you've given a lot of good advice for new teachers and teachers out there. Let's, let's spill the tea on one more thing someone could take from you apply it to what they do in the classroom or at their school next year and make it a better year. What's something they can learn from you? Um, Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I think beyond like some instructional stuff, 
like, all right, so let's start instructional and maybe work up to more abstract thing. Instructional stuff, steal ideas and activities from other people. Do not be feeling, don't be out there feeling like you got to reinvent the wheel. I have taken so many things from so many other educators with their knowledge, without their knowledge. Don't be afraid to be like, man, I'm struggling with this content. I'm struggling with this unit. Reach out to somebody because chances are somebody, even if they're not in your department, has a pretty cool way of skinning that cat. Yeah, so that would be one thing. Steal liberally. Um, I think <laughs> another thing is so much, and this is true of life, and this is going to sound corny, but it's it's so true, and it's true right at this moment. Like stress isn't something caused by things that are external to you. Stress is caused by your expectations and how you react to how external events affect those expectations. So you have more power as an educator to kind of shape how your day goes, how your year goes, how your semester goes, how your career goes. You're going to have days where it's going to be painful and it's going to hurt like emotionally and psychologically, hopefully not physically, but you never know. You're going to have days where you didn't get through that lesson. You're going to have days where you, you're a failure. Expect that going in. And if you have those expectations that this is always a work in progress, just like anything, anything that matters anyway, is always a work in progress. Then I think it's easier to feel confident that you're moving in the right direction. I think it's something I struggle with even in my 18 years, 18, 19 years is feeling like every lesson has to be a home run. And it's fine to be a perfectionist and it's certainly admirable to learn from your mistakes but also understand that you're gonna make them and you're gonna make them frequently and that's okay and you need to let yourself off the hook and forgive yourself at the end of the day um and then just sort of that obvious stuff that we've been talking about this whole conversation is like relationships um and this isn't even just like corny kumbaya stuff although it's definitely that like there's there's hard physiological evidence like um when neuro- when neurologists study how people learn, there's a lot of evidence that people learn best from people they trust, from other humans mm-hmm. that they love. Like there's there's some really fascinating studies they've done with young kids. And so remember that. Like remember to let yourself be loved by the kids and to and to kind of I guess back to that bucket analogy to let your bucket get filled up and let your bucket get poured out. And it doesn't mean that your day is going to be perfect and that this job doesn't have a lot of, a lot of issues, but, but this job can also be incredible if you're kind of allow those moments of grace and joy to emanate from you and your classroom. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. So I don't know. I think teachers probably, if you're not a teacher, maybe some of that, it, it seems a little a little too or lacking in kind of concrete advice, but I think teachers can understand that. Like another thing too, that I had to learn is it doesn't matter who wins. Like I know, and I still forget this lesson daily, but as a teacher, you want to be in control all the time. And you're like, I'm not going to let, you know, somebody's acting up in my class. And if they're doing it repeatedly, like they don't get to win. I'm going to show them how to act at the end of the day. The only thing that matters is, is that student able to learn? And so even if I'm the one who has to find a new way to approach them, even if it seems like I shouldn't, try it. Like, I can't control, I guess what I'm saying is I can't control any of my kids, ever. You can't ever control another person. I can only control me. So if I've tried the mm-hmm. same thing eight days in a row, and that same thing hasn't worked and has only escalated a conflict, even if that, even if that thing I'm trying is the right thing on paper, and the right thing in my mind morally, maybe on day nine, I need to try something new. Try something new. Yeah, I'm with you. And so remembering that, like I can't, or when a lesson flops, it's easy to be like, man, well, if they'd only studied, they would have gotten done better on this test. That's probably true. You know who you can say that about? Every single student that's ever existed in the history of education. If they had worked harder, <laughs> they would do better. Well, duh. I can't control how hard my kids work. I can't control their home life. I can't control so many variables, but I can control what I bring to the table. So if they all flop on that test, even if I think it's because they should have studied more, 
I need to come at that lesson from a different angle next time. And so when you have that kind of mindset that, yeah, I'm in control of a lot, even if it's not everything, and that this is going to be chaotic and messy, but it's going to be beautiful and wonderful too, when you have that mindset, I think you can really get a lot out of this job. I'm with you. I'm with you. Now, and, and don't teach that, summer school. Unless, you, unless you're broke, don't teach summer school. Give yourself, <laughs> give yourself time off. If you need the money, do it. I'm not judging you, but if not, give yourself time off. Well, and so, and I, I disagree a little bit with that because <laughs> I was talking with, I was talking with Mr. Stevens uh, before, you know, this Corona mess and I was applying to be an admin of summer school. And I was like, Hey man, you think I could do it? And he's like, yeah, you could definitely do it. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to, I'm going to apply and kind of go from there. And he's like, well, this is my motto in the summer. If you're not making money, you're spending it. <laughs> and so, I was like, oh, I guess you're kind of right. But, you know, if you need the break, definitely take it. Yeah, and that's a good point, too. I think you got to find whatever works for you. So for me, summer school has always, I've always been afraid, like, I need to reset and recharge. And so summer school hasn't been for me. But that's a good point. If it works for you, Mm -hmm. do it. That's true. Dude, don't try to be the cool teacher. Just be yourself. Kids are going to love you for being steady. You can be the corniest human in the world. And shots, I could, I mean, I could name some people, but you can be uncool as possible. If you are steady and the kids know you're steady, they're going to love you. Yeah, they might laugh at you sometimes and might call you out for your yep. taste of music right. or whatever, but kids don't gravitate towards who they think is the coolest. Although, sidebar, I'm definitely the coolest. But now back to what we're saying be yourself. If you are yourself and you're steady, kids are going to, are going to, they're going to work with that. Some of the best teachers I've ever seen who built the best relationships with students were, were teachers who had absolutely, and I'm talking about students who came from, you know, rough backgrounds. I'm talking about kids who came from the projects of the South Bronx and their favorite teacher is some 65 year old lady who listens to Chopin on on the weekend. But not because it wasn't because of, you know, anything she did outwardly. It's because she was steady and they knew she loved them. So if you kind of are yourself, kids are going to gravitate as long as you're steady, as long as you show up. You can't be yourself one day and be be absent physically or psychologically the next day. But but don't be afraid to just be you. I'm with you. I love it. So we're at the part of the show now where we get a chance to give um, some quick shout out. So before we wrap this up, is there any. Anybody, colleague, you know, class of 2020, whomever you want to give a shout out um, to? Man. First of all, I want to tell my colleagues, stop texting me. They know that's what, that, they <laughs> know that's coming with love. But for they, they've calmed down a lot. But, man, they were off the chain for a while. I had to put their alerts on silent. We're in a group text in my department. And they're wild. They text about the most inconsequential stuff in the world. Um, but I love my department. I really need to shout out all the social studies department. And that includes the ex-ed teachers and the admins that we work with because those people are solid and they have your back. And so I love my department. I got to shout out all of my students this year, the ones who would, who are graduating this year, the ones I teach currently, I'm not going to name anyone particularly because then I'm going to miss somebody and forget somebody. And that's not going to be cool. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I love the kids. I hope they're they're doing well. If they are, if students are hearing this, just listen to what I said earlier. Y'all are fine. Y'all are strong. Y'all are smart. This is a new thing. This sucks. Okay, now what? We can keep talking about how this sucks, or we can move on. So I'm encouraging you to do what y'all have done your whole lives. Move on. Y'all got this. Um, other than that. That's, I think that's about it. And any teacher who might hear this, cool. whether you're in Henrico County or elsewhere, who who's working at home and trying to raise your own children, but also trying to keep keep your school children in mind, give y'all a shout out. And then I guess last but not least, although I'm sure they got better things to do than hear this, anybody who's still going to work, you know, you know, whether you're in a grocery store, whether you're an electrician, obviously if you're in the medical profession, all of y'all who are going to work every day. Y'all just keep doing your thing because y'all are y'all are amazing. Um, 
and you you know kind of putting yourself at risk so that this society doesn't totally crumble so shout out to those people as well well hey man this is this has been a pleasure and like i said i really appreciate you coming on and um you know i'm, I'm releasing it on may 4th so uh may the 4th be with you <laughs> and <laughs> and we'll be in touch and i'll let you know when it drops and we'll all right i out. appreciate you having me calder um keep doing what you do we need we need as many educators like yourself as we can find and hopefully when this when this whole mess is is done whether it's this year next year whatever me and you need to link up and uh have have more conversations in person i love it i love every second about that all right take care of yourself what's going on staffeldy spilling the tea listeners this is Corey calder here today your host um and i got a special one for you today we have mr lavecchia you want to say anything mr lavecchia hey guys so yeah um just give you a little background. Ms. Lavecchia teaches at Verona High School, and I have had the opportunity to uh, do observations in his class, and he's an incredible teacher. And I've had the chance to kind of get to know Mr. Lavecchia outside the classroom and build a good relationship. So uh, why don't we get into this? Um, can you let us know a little bit about you and why you got into the field of education? Yeah, um, I was sort of late deciding I wanted to be a teacher. Um, a lot of people start right out of college. I didn't actually start teaching until I was 26. Um, it's, I sort of just decided one day, like it was an idea that I bounced around when I was younger, you know, but it kind of mm -hmm. never fell in place. And I sort of had that moment one day where I decided like, I want to do something with my life. And what I wanted to do was, you know, help younger people, help teenagers, and I figured one of the best ways that I could do that and be a huge nerd and get away with it was teaching. So went to college, got the, or went back to college for the second time, got the teaching degree and was lucky enough to get a job at Verona, which is where I graduated back in 2007. So everything worked out really well for me. There you go. What, what were you doing before the teaching, um, before you like had that aha moment? Uh, I was a, a line cook at a little local restaurant right up the road from me for nine years. Wow. Yeah, all through college when I got my bachelor's and then for five years after I got my bachelor's until until the day that I started uh, student teaching, I was a cook. Oh, wow. Do you, do you bring anything um, from what you learned there into your teaching world? Uh, the hecticness, I think relates well because there's so much going on in the kitchen all at once you got you know 25 30 100 different orders depending on how busy it is and being able to manage 25 to 30 students at a time is a lot simpler when, you, <laughs> when you're already used to bouncing around so if you ever heard that you know multitasking is actually a myth it's your brain's ability to switch from one task to another you mm -hmm. can't switch from one task to another in a kitchen you definitely can't do it in a classroom. Very cool. I didn't know that about you. I'm glad I got to learn that about you. So, um, you know, like I said, I've seen you teach before. And one thing that I, I notice about you in the classroom is that you're very real with the students. There's, you know, fake would be an anonym for you. Like you are not fake whatsoever with the kids. You bring it every day. You're very real. Um, what, do you, what do you do well in the classroom that makes you you? I just, I tell it like it is, you know, we learned in college, this was something we talked about a lot of the time when I would get my bachelor's is, is content is ubiquitous. The, the knowledge is everywhere. You know, you can look up anything you want on the internet. So I don't, I don't need to teach you, but so much content. I need you to learn how to chew through all of the information that is constantly available in the world that we live in, which is something that is fairly new in the world of teaching and something that, you know, a lot of us on the staff are working towards is trying to get kids to figure out what to do with all of the information that they see. And I tell them like it is with, you know, here's what it is. Here's what we know. Here's what we can do. What do you think? And I don't know how many times I've said the phrase, you can't be wrong because I'm asking your opinion. There's no wrong answers except for no answer and no support for your opinion. 
Um, but I, kids, believe me when I say that. I want your opinion. I want to know what you think. I just want you to have backup for it. I might not agree with you. I might think that you're totally wrong and I might use different evidence, but we both have evidence. And I think that's what matters is getting these kids to start thinking about what they think, metacognition, to put out the buzzword, but think about what you think and figure out why you think that. Because I think that's the world we live in. More people need to be actually considering why they think something. And I think trying to get kids to do that in the classroom makes it, as you said, more real. You know, I don't hide the fact from them that that's what I want them to do. Gotcha. Gotcha. Is there, um, I know you and I have both read a little Robin Jackson. Yeah. Um, how, how has your teaching craft and your pedagogy, pedagogy changed from before and after Robin Jackson? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing is the title of the book that I read that I borrowed from Miss Seeley is Never Work Harder Than Your Students. And what that part especially really helped me realize is just how much work we should be putting into crafting our lessons so that the students can do the lesson. You know, I, I had a student comment at the beginning of uh, this year, one of my juniors, we were doing this massive timeline. I hadn't taught them a single thing. Uh, and they just had to guess what was where based on what they do. And I walked around the classroom and made sure they were doing the work. And for two classes in the classroom, I didn't do anything except for like point and be like, hey, you know that? Hey, don't forget this. What are you thinking here? I didn't do any traditional teaching for two straight class periods. And one of my kids called me on and she said, we do this lesson so you can laugh at us, don't you? <laughs> and she wasn't, <laughs> she wasn't wrong. It was, it's hilarious to me because, you know, I know all of the answers. You get a little bit of that, you know, God complex as a teacher sometimes, the sage on the stage. But yeah. And I said, no, like, this is funny to me, but the reason that we're doing this is because I spent, you know, three or four hours considering what you needed to know and putting together materials for this and using everything that I know. And now I know what you know. So it's funny to watch y'all struggle a little bit because you're you're getting used to that a lot of kids are not used to that struggle of not knowing exactly what is expected of them mm -hmm. so you know it's not just because it's funny it's because this is what we need to be doing gotcha but that's that's what's well, changed since robin jackson is i i recognize that's how i think it should be working like i agree with with dr jackson on that 100 percent. you know at least I think she's a doctor, <laughs> that we put all the work in, we front load our lessons, and then the kids need to be doing the work. And that's the same thing I was talking about with kids building their opinions. You know, I can't tell you your opinion. I can give you information to build it, but I can't make up your own opinion. That has to be 100% from you. Oh, yeah. Well, and one thing, you know, I, I read the book and tried to do a little bit more of her way of teaching. And what it helped me is sort of like what you commented on is the students have to figure out how they're going to learn the information once you provide the lesson. But then I get to walk around and individually help each other and help the students and they kind of help me become a better teacher. And so like the craft of teaching for me has improved immensely. And also I get to build. I think better relationships because I'm not going off a of PowerPoint and walking around and they're taking notes. Right. Each yeah. one of them are learning on their own and I'm just help facilitate the, the lesson. Yeah. And it, it actually helps you learn your students as individuals better because you're not, it's not whole Absolutely. class. It's individualized. It's yeah. It's that's great. That's awesome. Now, um, do you have like a, a Lavecchia, hall of fame teaching moment do you have something where you know you had the greatest lesson in the world and you went home and bragged about it even though no one really care but you know you're just bragging and going nuts am i allowed to say student names 
Yeah, you can say first names. Okay, so uh, we did, and it was a funny moment. So I'll I'll be glib and tell you the full story. Um, with my seniors in government, I let them choose discussion topics, and we do a Socratic on it. So they mm-hmm. choose the topic. I help them find the materials, the content to build their own opinions, and then we do a fishbowl. Um, so you know, two different groups, same discussion. Um, and we, one of my classes chose, uh, white privilege, which is a very contentious topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I went along with it and I even sent out, I think I might've invited you. I think that might've been the one you observed actually. I think it was the one I was in on. Yeah. So I sent out an email and I said, guys, my students chose this. Like, it's going to be amazing or it's going to be a total dumpster fire. But everyone's invited if y'all want to come see, like, see what these kids are doing because they, they're really into this idea of talking about it. And like, they got into it. And I luckily, they let me record it. They wouldn't let me do a video, but I got audio. So mm-hmm. I got Wallace and Destiny, who are... <laughs> just about as opposite of students as you can get together in a classroom. <laughs> and they had a discussion and it was not yelling. It was not screaming. It was evidence. It was opinions. And, oh, it was amazing to hear these two go at it, but actually like base it in content. It wasn't just kids mm-hmm. yelling and arguing. It was real life experience, real life opinions. And uh, it was amazing. And ever since that happened, it's everything I've, <laughs> every discussion I've done in my classrooms, that's what I've hoped for. Oh, so that's that so cool. These two kids just... that were just totally opposites to discuss openly, honestly, but fact-based one of the most contentious argued about subjects that we could have talked about nowadays. Wow. That, that's pretty powerful, especially, you know, if the listeners out there know these students and, mm-hmm. and know how difficult a discussion can be in a classroom, that's, that's pretty remarkable. Hey, do me a quick favor. And um, I want to kind of dive into Socratics. Can you just tell the audience two, two to three minutes at most kind of what a Socratic seminar is? Yeah. So the idea behind a Socratic seminar is students are discussing a question and it's a discussion. It is very pointedly not a debate. Like there's no winner in a Socratic seminar. There's no points awarded or anything like that. It's not like a debate club or anything. The idea is to get them to talk about something using your content as the basis. So um, I've done it with my juniors, which is a little more, you know, solid based in content with U.S. history, where we discussed, should we have dropped the atomic bomb on Japan at the end of World War II? And should we have put Japanese citizens in an internment camp? Now, there's no right answer to either of those questions. You can find mm. any evidence you want to support any answer. Yes, we should have used the bomb. No, we shouldn't have used the bomb. Yes, we should have put the citizens in internment camps. No, we shouldn't have put the citizens in internment camps. You cannot 100% definitively answer that question because your opinion is built on whichever facts you find and agree with. But you cannot build your yes or no opinion without knowing the facts. And that's the awesome thing about Mm -hmm. Socratic is students can prove that they have learned content by basing their opinions in that content and then discussing it. So the ideas that I use, what I always coach like other teachers on doing with the Socratic is it's the Robin Jackson way. You know, it takes me hours and hours and hours of work to hunt down good sources, good content, you know, on level with the students that you're using, reading level, stuff they can understand, stuff that doesn't, you know, divulge too much from or diverge, excuse me, too much from what they need to know versus what you want them to know, which usually is the same thing. But once you have put in those hours of work, you can use that over and over again as a teacher 
And then your students actually get to be engaged in the discussion. And it's also, uh, the Socratics are a great way to really prove to your kids that they can't be wrong. It's their opinion. They're just proving that they know the content by basing their opinion in facts. So that's the idea that I always use behind the Socratic. The actual setup is you split the class sort of like in half. I do the fishbowl style. So one circle on the inside, one circle on the outside. Inside talks, outside listens, and they take notes. The person you're sitting in front of or behind is your buddy. So like if you, you know, you've got a student that doesn't talk as much, they can get talking points from their buddy. You've got a student that talks too much and they didn't get a chance to say something they wanted to. They can get their buddy to say it when it's their turn to discuss. Um, but it, the students have to own it because if the students don't own it, we all just sit in awkward silence until somebody starts talking. So I absolutely love doing that. Well, and you did a you did a really nice job at helping me through them because it's something I wanted to do after seeing one of your lessons, but I really had no idea how to start. So your coaching with that helped me. And you know, I always tell people like if you need to try something new, try this. Um, definitely start with something like what did you do over the weekend, um, just to kind of break the ice, and then dive into one that's content based or they've done research and. I definitely give you a shout out every time. So if too many teachers are coming your way, I will not send them your way anymore. But um, you are you are like the guru at Verina with this stuff. So we really appreciate it. Cool. That's good to know. <laughs> um, what's what have you been doing now during this like Corona time where we're not, you know, getting to see our students going to work every day, all of that mess. I mean, we're working from home, but it's very different. What stuff are you doing related to school, not related to school? What's going on? Oh, I'm spending a lot of time with my toddler. <laughs> um, very good. Yeah. So I'm hanging out with a two and a half year old a whole lot. I'm not getting a lot of adult conversation except for my wife. So this is, this is a refreshing conversation to have with you because there we go. <laughs> um, the social studies department has done some zoom chats or some Google hangouts. Um, I've done a couple chats with my students, um, before everything got flipped upside down and suddenly school was over. Uh, I blasted out my email address and my cell phone number to as many students as I could get it to. Um, so I've had some students check in, I've checked in with a few students. It's been really nice. So I'm trying to keep in touch with people, you know, um, mm -hmm. I am playing a lot of video games. There a we go. A lot, a lot. I'm on my fifth video game <laughs> since March 13th. So, which has been nice. And my, my wife judges me silently, hopefully. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I've got the toddler playing video games too. He, uh, he likes to shoot the guns in Borderlands now. <laughs> Oh, okay. I, I tried that one out on my PSP um, the other day. It's like, I think it's the first Borderlands. Oh, so uh, that one's good. Up to date with the game, but it's, it's fun. It's a fun little, little break in the day. Yeah. Just some me time. Well, it's, he's, he's napping now, but that's usually my gig is hang out with the toddler. He naps. I play video games. <laughs> Yeah. A little funny story. When I used to babysit back in the day and if the kid was really young, but they thought they were playing games, I would give them a controller, but not plug it in. Yeah. I and tried that. I like tricked them. <laughs> it didn't work on him. It didn't work. Mm -hmm. oh, you got a bright, you got a bright one because it worked on kids like it was no other. And I got to play and I told them that they were playing sometimes and it was great. No, I wish that, was, but he knows uh, better. He he knows when he does something on the controller, it does something on the TV. Oh man! Well, um, what's uh, something that you do in your classroom that you would recommend teachers doing next year? Whether it's to start off the year or a tip or a trick that you use that other teachers could borrow from you to help their craft. Spill the tea on that. Mm, well, Socratic seminars. <laughs> since you brought them up. Um, <clears throat> something 
I don't like nicknames a whole lot. And I know there's a few teachers that, that do that, but unless it's a nickname related to your name, I tell students, like, I'm going to learn your name as fast as I possibly can, and I'm going to use it constantly. If I'm talking to you, I'm going to use your name because I've always thought that it was – like respectful to kids. Like I see you, you're there. It's like the most basic way that I think that, you know, human beings in general can show respect for each other is using their names, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. I completely agree. And I, I, I make them do name tags and everything at the beginning of the year. Cause I'm, you know, and I tell them as soon as, as soon as I know your names, the name tags are gone. Um, but I also then will reuse the name tags. Like I'll save them and I'll reuse them as okay. random seating assignments for discussions. So when we do our Socratics, or at least I tell the students it's random. So maybe I'm outing myself here, but <laughs> uh, I'll put out their name tags on the desks for how I want them to sit before they even get in the classroom. And I usually just tell them it's random but usually it's based on like balancing the groups, you know, because all your, all yeah, your really definitely. chatty kids want to sit in the center and talk first. And then you get to your second group. If you're not careful, they don't know what to say. It's all your quiet kids that don't want to talk. So it helps you mix it up a little and you don't have to make the name tags they, yourself. They make them for you at the beginning of the year. Yeah. And that's a cool way for them to personalize it for, like their own person, like a soccer player might put a soccer ball on. You can right. kind of learn a exactly. little more about them. Um, do, do you think the name tags help the kids learn each other's names faster yes. or is it mainly absolutely. just kind of you and them? It absolutely does. And I tell them, I tell them that too. Like I'm, part of the reason I make you make name tags is because I want to use your name. And when we're doing this discussion, I want y'all to use each other's names. You know, if you're responding to a person, say their name, say, you know, I already used their name. So, you know, destiny says, you know, Wallace, I think this, and like your point that, you know, whatever. And it, it, it helps keep it as an actual discussion because using someone's name humanizes them. It's really easy to get angry at someone if you don't use their name, but I've always found that Mm -hmm. in those discussions that can get heated, like a, a good Socratic seminar can have its heated moments and that's fine. But encouraging them to use their names reminds them that like you're talking to another teenager and we're all in this together and yeah it helps them i get a lot less of that that may who was that kid like oh you mean john that's been in our classroom since day one and has perfect attendance and you (laughs) never learned their name i get a lot less of that with especially with seniors because i they have to talk to each other Oh, yeah. And they're about to go into the real world, yeah. you know, so learning names is definitely a key skill that they'll need. Um, one quick plug on name learning. I try to after like the first month, I'll pick a random kid on a Friday. And if we're in PE, i will be like, all right, if you can name everybody's name in our class without any hints, we got a free Friday. I mean, we'll get our exercise in, but you'll get choices. Uh-huh. You know, you'll get basketball, football, soccer, whatever. And I tell them this ahead of time. So these kids are trying to learn everybody's name because they want a random free Ooh, I Friday. I like that. And so it's, so it's, it's kind of fun, like a fun little competition. And I start out, you know, if it's a really shy kid, I might say, all right, you got to get, you know, class of 25 you got to get 23 of the 25 but then by the end of the class period you need to learn those other two kids names and so it's it's something fun to kind of build that community in the classroom well awesome well we're at the part we're at the start of the show um or the part of the show where you can give a shout out to your peeps so are there anybody in your department or anything going on that you are missing from Barina that you want to give a huge shout out to? Yeah. You know, shout out to the social studies department. We've been, we've been chatting. We try to do it every other week at least. And, you know, our department meetings are meeting and then hang out afterwards. So big shout out to Ashley and Jessica and Curtis and Jimmy and Jason and Sam and Amanda and Valerie 
and Zach, and I'm probably forgetting some, so sorry, y'all, if I forgot you. Um, I think you forgot Aaron, did, Aaron. and – oh, you did Aaron? Okay. Keep Rose, rolling. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, shout out to the social studies department. Uh, shout out to my entourage, CJ and Savari, and Kevin, if they're listening, they'll know who they are. Um, shout out, shout out to Nas. You probably know who Nas is. Uh, Jamia, if you're listening, hello. I hope you're doing well. Destiny and Wallace, I appreciate you as always. And God, just the rest of y'all. I hope everyone's getting by. This, these times are crazy, you know, and it's not always easy. So I hope everyone's doing good. There you go, tea drinkers. That was an episode of Staffelty Spilling the Tea. I want to thank you for steeping in our episode. And do me a favor and go give us a four or five star review and click that subscribe button so you get future episodes. This has been real. This has been fun. And this has been real fun. Till next time. See you.